and welcome to Inclus This. I'm your host, Sarah Kerwin, and this is a movement for disability equity. Today, we're talking with my very dear friend and colleague, Dr. Molly Bloom, and we're talking about season one of the Inclus This podcast, which, as of today, is a wrap. Dr. Molly Bloom has felt an affinity for and responsibility to the disability community since sustaining a life-changing injury as a teenager in 2006. Since then, she has co-founded the only women's wheelchair basketball team in California, completed a PhD drawing on anthropology and disability studies, and learned from her friends and peers that disability community always involves sharing knowledge, advocacy, and living joyfully. In her doctoral studies at UCLA, Molly brought together critical perspectives on race, class, and disability community. Her research, funded by the National Science Foundation, among other organizations, was recognized for its commitment to diversity when she was inducted into the Edward A. Boucher Honor Society in 2018. She has authored publications on topics ranging from adaptive athletics to disability in the Middle East to Brazilian Sign Language. Recently, Molly has relocated to home of the American disability rights movement, the Bay Area, where she is busy working as an inclusive design researcher for Adobe and soaking in the activist milieu. She thrives on connection and collective growth and longs for the day when she can build joy in person with her disabled kin. Good morning, my friend. Welcome back to Inclus This. I actually can't believe this day is here. We're recording the final episode of season one of the Inclus This podcast. Yeah, good morning. I am really grateful to be here. I've been listening all season and not just to the episodes where you had me, to the episodes where you had other people. I actually can't listen to the episodes where I'm on them, but um It's been a really wonderful season, and I'm so excited that I get to wrap it up with you. Oh, I'm so happy you're here. It's been, um, you know, I have a hard time listening to myself, so I haven't been going back to all of them either. But I think I'll have to, because isn't that part of how you learn how to be a better speaker? So you have to put yourself in those uncomfortable positions. I guess. I guess that's part of it. Just (laughs) you you have fun with that. (laughs) Thank you. So when I first started talking about podcasting, everyone's like, yeah, it's so easy. You'll love it. And I just want to say that I didn't find any of this work to be easy. And at times, as you know, I not only didn't love it, but I actually hated some of it. And I think the most laborious part is the editing process. But uh, the great thing is that I went from having no idea how to use Audio Hijack and Adobe Audition to whatever level of skill you'd say I'm at now. (laughs) Woohoo! Congratulations! (laughs) Right? Right? Thank you. So I think it's ironic, uh, actually, that the impetus for launching this podcast was my anger at the ableism that was and continues to put disabled lives at risk during the pandemic, as well as the murder of George Floyd. And here we are today, a little more than a year later, we're watching former police officer Derek Chauvin's murder trial as his lawyer tries to argue that it was 
drugs in George Floyd's system, not this white supremacist police officer that killed George Floyd. We also have people scrambling to get vaccinated after having been deprioritized through this whole process. We have anti-Asian hate crimes at all-time highs. We've had several mass shootings in this country in the past few weeks, and do I really need to go on? It's been trauma after trauma. Am I missing anything in that, Molly? I'm sure you're missing things. It's been a incredibly rough. It's been a rough year and continues to be rough. I mean, I just saw in the New York Times that there was another attempted attack at the Capitol. Um, I I don't know what to say, but I I hope that these rough experiences, some of which are not new, right? The the continuous murder of black people by police officers isn't new. Um, there's wider discourse around it now. Uh, racism towards Asians and Asian Americans is not new. There's just a deeper understanding of it. And um, I hope that all of us facing these issues together, we, we can come away with this with some movement towards growth. That's why I'm really loving this podcast that you've put together. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, my husband was just on the last episode with me and, and we aired this um, just bits of, of this longer interview that we did for Yahoo Media Group. And he told me last week, he was like, I think you're getting soft. Like, you've gotten soft towards the end of the season. And I was like, no, I haven't gotten soft. I said, we're celebrating MS Awareness Month together and with our friends. So I, <laughs> I had to really start this one strong, you know, make sure everyone understands I'm still the fighter that started the podcast. And I want to say I'm extremely proud that through all of this trauma that we've experienced, um, the Inclus This podcast has brought a diverse and really incredible group of guests together to address so many of the issues that you were just talking about that I stated previously and other issues that we're facing each day as disabled human beings and as a larger part of our communities and the world. So the original goal was and still remains for this podcast is to bring disability to the forefront of the greater diversity conversation. Um, we've talked about being disabled enough, why the ADA doesn't represent inclusion, the fact that disability policies in this country don't work because they've never really been fully funded and implemented, why COVID long haulers are fighting to be recognized by the federal government as disabled, joy as part of resistance, oppression Olympics within the quote-unquote disability community, the question around an impact of disability identity, how powerful the words and language we use are, tools and resources for disability allyship, and so much more. Um, Molly, what was your favorite episode this season and why? And you can choose your own. <laughs> mm. Thank you. My favorite episode, okay, so over the season, I have really enjoyed, just on a personal level, seeing the way that you've developed and your style has grown to be more conversational. Um, 
And I think those those sort of warm conversations that that you can that you can elicit bring out just these delightful details that really enrich the stories that you are trying to highlight um, and that your guests are highlighting. So I loved the episode with soon to be Dr. Stephanie Keeney Parks. She, you know, she talked about her own experience as a mother of a child with autism. And she also talked about the research that she does on autism and the research that she does with families with autism. Um, And there was just this great warmth and it was so fucking human. It was just so human. And I loved hearing that. Obviously she's also my friend. so (laughs) I thought that was wonderful. And then I loved the episode with you and Carl. It's hard to, it's really hard to pick a favorite. I think there's been such great content out here. Do you think that, you know, if, if the goal remains to bring disability to the forefront of the greater diversity conversation through this provision of a safe and coalitional space for having these difficult and sometimes uncomfortable conversations, in your professional and academic, as well as your personal opinion, do you feel like this podcast hit these marks? Yeah, I think there were I think there were some conversations that likely challenged people's understandings of disability. There were conversations that challenged my understandings of disability, right? I don't I have studied disability for a long time and there are perspectives here that sometimes I agree with, sometimes I disagree with and they've opened they've opened the perception that I have of disability. They've also given me, you know what, they've given me a different perspective on how I think of the disability community as a whole, because um, I spend time within my sort of specific disability community. So what that looks like for me tends to be adaptive sports, disability studies communities, um, and communities that I, work with in my research, which is sometimes assistive technology, sometimes it's rehabilitation. And I come away from that experience with this sense that like, this is what represents the disability community. And that is not what I found. There are people who are more closely aligned with the medical system and the sort of benefits that they feel like they get from the medical system. There are people who are vying for bringing feminist ideologies into everyday interactions within the disability community that have been new to me. And I think I've grown and I like to see where it's going in the future. You know, one of the things that I remember about Stephanie, um, I loved when she said, it's important for people to remember that when you just say the black community, that it's the same as the disability community. Everyone within each of these communities has a different experience, a different perspective, a different thought process. And she shared that, and I can't remember the author, Angela, I can't remember the author's last name, but what she shared was that this author said, you know, one way for black people to truly be free 
is to be able to truly be themselves with their own opinions and for people to understand that the whole community is not grouped under one umbrella thought or perspective. What did you find that it changed some of your perspectives on on how you look at disability? Could you explain that a little bit more or could you provide an example of one of the specific episodes? Yeah, I'm thinking about uh, the episode that you did for MS Awareness Month with Donia, please remind me her last name. Donia Marie. With Donia Marie, right? Um, who is undoubtedly a force. She she seems to come in with such passion and love for the work that she does within the MS community that she works with. Um, and, you know, it seems like what you have built, what you and your colleagues and what you've built along with Donia has been this really wonderful community for people with MS to share experiences and build coalition and understanding and really a way to enrich their lives. And what's what has been different for me about that is that that's a community that is really closely aligned with medicine, right? Like. Um, you can go to that community and you can talk about um, what kind of medicine you're on or maybe what sorts of doctors you want to work with and don't want to work with and how to advocate yourself with doctors, right? When I come when I come at a perspective on disability from a disability studies perspective, my approach is the medical view of disability is super limited because in medicine, like the, the the definition, the understanding, the whole ethos around disability is that disability is a limitation of the body and the goal of medicine is to reduce disability, right? That's totally different from like a disability pride perspective, disability studies perspective that says, I am not limited. I am by some sort of pathology in my body. This is sort of the social model versus the medical model, which there's been a lot of talk about the social model, medical model, we, you can look it up. Um, but the the social model of disability or a disability pride perspective would say, there's nothing inherently wrong with me. I'm not lacking. It's the world and society that's wrong. And it's the world and society that needs to be changed so that I can be fully embraced and not marginalized. Um, and so I've just gotten like a greater a greater understanding of the complexities of disability for some people with a disability and in some communities that are disability communities. Medicine and an embrace of that medical approach is is an inherent part of that community for really good and complex reasons, right? So it's it's deepened my understanding of um how how I think disability community needs to be structured, right? I, I feel like it's just like slightly less militaristic about the <laughs> the about pushing against that that sort of medical perspective on disability. Wow, I never even actually thought about that. Yeah. You and I talk a lot, a lot about disability identity and my own understanding of my identity 
with my disabilities. And I never really thought about the fact that I also am incredibly closely aligned to that medical model. And, and there's probably a lot of reasons why you are closely aligned to the medical model. There's probably, um, there's probably a lot that you could say, and you have said over the course of the season about how, how, I, I don't know, it's just kind of the state of the world that we live in, that disability is embedded in medicine. It is in our world, right? It, there might be an alternative world in which it's not. Um, and sometimes that engagement is the way that you, sometimes it's how you advocate for yourself. Sometimes it's how you push back, right? It's, it's complicated. Have you been to self-help groups? No, I, I, you know, I've, I've been to maybe one or two self-help groups, um, but I've never really fully engaged with them. Do you think that if you were to go to a self-help group for amputees, that the group members would talk about their providers or treatment they're receiving or would it be as aligned as we kind of are? Because you're right, when we walk into a self-help group, this is what we say. I'm Sarah Kerwin. I was diagnosed in 2011. I'm on Copaxone, uh, 40 milligrams, three times a week. That's my DMT, my disease-modifying therapy. And my doctor is so-and-so. And that's how you introduce yourself. And it's kind of, you know, it's just the introductions, and that is totally aligned medically. So now I'm curious, if you went into an amputee self-help group, what would that conversation be? It might be, it, it, it might, it's probably different in every amputee self-help group. Um, the amputees that I've uh, interacted with the most, I think, you know, if you're, if you're a person who sustains an amputation and you're going to a self-help group for like newly injured amputees, like new, like new amputations, um, there probably would be a, a deeper embeddedness into that medical system because that's how you understand yourself at that point. But with the amputees that I know who are further away from their amputations, um, and some people are, you know, have congenital limb deficiency, right? So there's a lot of people who are born with limb deficiency and they don't sustain an amputation at some point in their lives. But for the people who are further away from it, I don't think the amputees that I know are as closely aligned with medicine because um, I don't want to get into like comparing disability experiences, but I do think Right. I do think it can be less involved with um, treatment and therapy if you're an amputee. Not all the time, right? But I think on average, probably a person who's an amputee, I'm thinking like a leg amputee, has less interactions with the medical system than a person who's diagnosed with MS. 
I don't know the the data or the statistics, but I think that's one of the reasons it might be different. Um, well, and what I think what I'm trying to get to is, so with with MS, it's constantly changing. So you're going back to that self-help group, you know, each week. You do go, well, you might go to maybe like a newly diagnosed class or optimal living, which we talked about in another episode. But then you go to the self-help group, like it's continuous. I mean, I've been going to self-help groups now for 10 years. And so I wonder if, if it's like, you know, and I, you're right. I always see like spinal cord injury, newly diagnosed groups, newly diagnosed groups for amputees. There are also those ongoing support and self-help groups. It's just interesting. It's, I never thought about the alignment that I have so closely with, with the medical model as I'm trying to explore this identity model as well. Hmm. Yeah, and there's really interesting, there is super interesting ambivalence between the idea, like the idea of self-help, um, that just the idea itself, not what actually happens in self-help groups, because I think what happens in self-help groups can be um, these really interesting spaces of community, which I sort of talk about in my dissertation, not necessarily self-help groups, but just generally when disabled people are around each other, talking to each other, there is some really beautiful instances and like transformative understandings of identity. Like there's, there's cool stuff that happens when disabled people are together. But just the whole idea of like self-help as a concept, that's a hard one for me to understand with a background in disability studies because um, my perspective is why is it, it, it feels very, it feels very neoliberal. Like why are the disabled people, the ones that need to help themselves? How about it's like a societal help group? Like how about society changes? Not me. Mm. Interesting. And here's the background on that. Just from an MS perspective, there is um, a lot of solidarity and healing that comes from that group and understanding that the person leading it is your peer as opposed to someone who would be coming in from the outside trying to, I don't know, talk about MS from a perspective that they really don't have. But that's really interesting. Also, a societal help group. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Where are the groups for people who don't identify as, like, disabled? Like, where are the groups for, like, able-bodied, able-minded self-help groups? Like, how you can, how you can not suck as much. <laughs> well, that, uh, I mean, you know, and people like to call them support groups, uh, which... Also, members of the MS community are like, well, I don't want to, I don't need a support group. I'm just going to talk to my peers. So I think there's so many different layers of, of uh, what that looks like for people and how they experience that or if they even want to. Yeah. And, and I think that it is awesome when disabled people get together and they start talking about shit. Like, I think that, um, I, my perspective is that that for people who sustain an injury at some point in their lives, 
that is a form of rehabilitation that's often not recognized by some medical systems it is but um i also think i just know from my own experiences in disability community right like i i had a lot of preconceived notions about what it was going to be like to live as an amputee that were sort of shattered when i when i met the the badass disabled women that i played basketball with right and they and they modeled for me this, um, not this life that's like full, I mean, free from strife, like it's hard to live with a disability, but a life in which you can go, ah, I don't know, fuck that. Like, this is who I am and, and I can build a meaningful life. Yeah, I spoke on a panel this week, a women in leadership panel, and they asked if I had any advice for young professional women, what would I give them? And I said, the thing that I would do over again is that I would never allow anyone to shame me for bringing my authentic self to the table. And I would have pushed back on that, said no to that. And I wouldn't have had to go through years of rediscovering my kind of authentic self and getting to this empowerment of, of owning my identity as a disabled woman with MS. You know, you and I are going to talk next season about uh, crip time, which I really find interesting because if I have political aspirations, which I always have, I mean, I love politics. I love all of it. I am a political junkie and I just like take it all in. When I look at that and I look at the reality of could I ever actually work in Congress? And yes, I could because of my, you know, I don't have to go through a list. But yes, I I could do that. But with my MS, could I do that? No, because how would I spend the night in a vote that goes on for like 17 hours? I mean, there's so many demands, like physical and mental demands on that. How is that accessible for someone who has a disability like me that could just couldn't do that? Right. Yeah, that that would be wonderful. We could totally talk about crip time. Yeah. Because I'm very curious about that because I feel like it removes us from so many things. Just the time and the production level, like, I can't go 12 hours, 15 hours. Like, there's just no way. And then I was thinking, and what would be a reasonable accommodation for that? That they let someone sit in in my place? Right? I mean, there, how, how, else, how else would you do that? I don't know. That's a good question. That's really interesting. Yeah. And I wonder if people have thought about this in, like, I wonder if there's been any discussion of it with lawmakers or, or people who are disabled who are, like, dealing with shit. Or it, even, you know, it, it, it sort of extends beyond disability, too, because I, Congress members have lives, too, and I'm sure they have shit that comes up for them. True. That's a very good point. They have family. I mean, even for a young woman with children, there's 
that wanted to have a balance. There's no way. That's why all these women are like 90. And then you were talking about in your dissertation about working with people in crypt time. And on the flip side of that is, you know, I may not get to something today because I don't feel well that day. Um, it's just not going to happen. And so people have to also kind of come to terms of how to work around or to be more flexible around timing and production. But anyway, there's so many topics I want to cover and have conversations about next season. And I'm really looking forward to, to all those conversations. And season two will launch in the summer. I really want to explore disability in different cultures and countries. I want to continue to bring new perspectives and thoughts from disabled people here in the U.S. We're going to have guests, conversations with guests about the impact of anti-Asian rhetoric and language, what it's like to be disabled in a country like Puerto Rico that's an American territory. You know, why disability equity and inclusion work belongs somewhere other than human resources. Why inclusion is more than the implementation of the ADA, the difference between disability justice and disability rights, and much more. I mean, that's a big plate of topics, so we'll have to whittle that down. But you and I are going to have a pre-Paralympic, pre-Olympic conversation about disability inspiration porn, which I can't wait for. And I'm really interested by this conversation just as it relates to sports. Because I feel like we look at other athletes and we're like, yeah, they're an inspiration. And then we look at adaptive athletes and we're not supposed to call them an inspiration. And so I think that we really have to explain that to people, uh, why that is, so that people understand what inspiration porn is and why it's bad. Um, so I'm stoked about that. Are there other topics you feel that are like really urgent to be included in the seasons or something that you really want to have a conversation about next season that people aren't talking about in this space? That's a hard one. I don't, I don't know. There's, there's tons of topics. I, I like your list. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Maybe we leave it at, maybe we leave it at that. There are so many. There are so many things. You know, one of the other things I really want to, um, God, I heard on the news last night as we're as I'm watching um, this this trial. They were talking about a jury of your peers, right? And that's another thing that I find really interesting that I want to talk about next season is how do we ever really have a jury of our peers? People with disabilities who are going to serve as jurors, most of the time they don't because of the accessibility issues. And like I shared with you, I, at one point, I had to get a doctor's note to say, hey, there's no way I could participate in a trial that's four to seven days long. I can't guarantee you that I'll be here every single one of those days. And from that point on, I never got a jury summons in the county of Los Angeles again. So... How are we, how is anyone in this country even getting a jury of their peers? I'm very curious about this topic and then really looking at it from like a disability perspective. 
so I have so many um, thoughts and ideas for next season, and it's still difficult for me to believe that it's a wrap on season one. I mean, it's been such an incredible learning process for me, and it's also been extremely challenging both mentally and emotionally, and I think physically because of my health, but it's just been such a rewarding experience. Um, I've grown. And I've gained so much knowledge and I've been introduced to so many different perspectives and thought processes and just words and language, really. Um, and it's just just been incredible. How would you say this journey has that you've taken with me over the past 12 months has has impacted you or changed you? One of the main ways that this journey has impacted and changed me is um, I've learned so much about working with you as a human in the sense that even though I'm a person with a disability, I, I absolutely have internalized ableism that I'm like, this is like, we, there's productivity and there's timelines and like, we got to stick to deadlines and shit. And you kindly remind me like, hey, we're going to push back this recording. I'm burnt out. I'm exhausted. And this is just what it's like to live with the kind of disability I like. And that and that as well as um, reading some of the, the stuff that I've been reading has helped me shift the way I understand how how we can get things done in a more collective way that is less less about this sense of productivity that requires like an able body an able mind and i like i said earlier i've just i've i've learned a lot about the different perspectives there are in different disability communities and how those don't always align with people who might be the most vocal um, advocates in the disability community, like on, on Twitter and um, people who are involved in policy or people who are writing disability studies articles, right? I remember the guest you had on who talked about um, COVID-19 being a disability, right? And how that is not necessarily something that a person in the who's a strong proponent of disability advocacy in, in this traditional sense might agree with, right? And and it's been really wonderful and expanding. It's expanded the way I understand the value of um, lifting up the voices of people with disabilities, especially those who might or might not align with other attitudes in the disability community. I think it really goes back to like what Stephanie said, that everyone has a different experience and a different thought on that experience and a different perspective because of that experience. It's so nice to have a woman and friend who stands in solidarity with me to try to and do the best to learn and understand that. And I'm so grateful for that. Because it's uncomfortable for me to have to share that when I go, go, go crash. And I do think that has been something that, you know, is so nice to be able to 
share, be able just to share that with you. Hey, I don't, it's not going to happen today. I have a migraine. Um, or, you know, my energy levels just aren't there. Yeah, it's been really valuable for me too. I appreciate your, the dialogue that you open up about that vulnerability. Like I realized that I, I consider myself an advocate and a person who's very invested in like better lives for people with disabilities. Um, and I've never even asked for like an accommodation at work. Right. And, and I've never even really thought about what, what that kind of world might look like for me as a person who has a disability. And, and I think there's just so much, I don't know what else to call it, but ableism that, that has percolated into the way I view what I do and how I work that it's something interesting to, to explore. Yeah, I love that. I think it's been really thought provoking. Um, you know, some of the episodes have had some pushback, some have had, you know, just a lot of, I mean, for the most part, everything's had support, but there has been pushback on certain topics. And I think that that's important that we have that pushback to have these conversations because we do all experience our disabilities in a different way. I want to thank you so much, Molly, for being here today. I, I just, I'm incredibly grateful for you and your friendship and your support. And you've been just a shoulder for me to lean on. You've been this ear to listen. Um, like I said earlier, a disabled woman to stand in solidarity with me. And you've been my biggest cheerleader, along with Carl, can't forget him, <laughs> during this entire process. And you're just this incredible human being. And I'm so grateful that you are not only here with me today, but that you have been with me throughout this entire journey. And I'm really looking forward to continuing this uh, next season. Thank you so much, Sarah. I am just, I am taking all that in. I'm soaking it in. That feels wonderful. I'm glad, um, I'm really glad that we have this relationship and I'm really glad that you've put together this podcast. I can't believe you're done with the season. Um, congratulations. And I cannot wait. Oh my gosh. Did you think it, did you think I'd make it? No, no, I didn't think the podcast was going to happen. I was like, Oh, okay. She wants to, everybody wants to start a podcast. Sure. Great. I had no idea you were actually going to do it. Oh my gosh. See, just proving people wrong, yeah. proving people wrong. <laughs> it's been incredible. Listen, I have to tell you, I've been carrying around my tarot cards for two days. Yeah. What are you finding? Um, I haven't done anything with them yet. I'm just, I'm just getting my energy on them. I, I've slept with them the past two nights and I've shuffled them and I started reading my book. And I now have them in a little uh, bag that just fits in my sweater, my uh, house sweater pocket. And I'm just, you know, carrying them around, doing a little shuffling right now, just touching them. Just putting your energy all over them. That's fucking great. Yeah. That's exactly what you need to do. And the image of you in a house sweater with tarot cards <laughs> in it is just <laughs> like that's phenomenal. Anyway, I am so thankful for you being here today and I'm looking forward to um, 
having you back next season and chatting between now and then about all the amazing topics that we're going to showcase in season two. Thank you again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can't wait. And once again to our listeners, thank you for spending your time with us and joining the Incluse This conversation and movement. Incluse This is brought to you by iLevel Communications, LLC. iLevel is a California-based woman and disability-owned small business committed to having critical conversations at iLevel that are necessary to move disability to the forefront of the greater diversity conversation. If you'd like to learn more about the work we're doing, please visit the website at www.ilevel.works. That's E-Y-E-L-E-V-E-L dot W-O-R-K-S. You can also email me directly with any podcast episode ideas or questions and comments at sarah at ilevel.works. Remember to put your disability lens on when you look at the world and tune in next season for more stimulating conversations on Incluse This, the podcast that's really a movement. Take care and be well.